You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode number 231 of You Don't Know Flat. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hare, and on today's episode, we will be talking about the Elio. This episode of You Don't Know Flack was made possible by my Patreon supporters, supporters like Daniel Jaleppa, David Hearn, and Bill Spear. If you would like to support my podcast and other creative ventures, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more details, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Now, I have spent the last few weeks working on my van and sleeping out there, and one of the things I did was wrote the notes for this week's show out there, and I think I must have left them there. So while I go out there and try to find my notes, that'll give us a little bit of time to chat during this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Welcome back to You Don't Know Flack. If you just listen to the podcast and don't follow me on social media, you might not know that I announced I was taking a break during November. It was a well-deserved break, in my opinion. <laughs> I say it was well-deserved. Um, but uh, yeah, I had uh, just a little bit of a break from podcasts, the computer, and everything else. I did some projects on the van, which I'll talk about briefly, but um, yeah, it was a, a good time, and now we're back here in front of the microphone, and we also celebrated Thanksgiving. Now, I know Thanksgiving is a, a United States-centric holiday, so those of you that are outside the United States probably don't uh, celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving dinner with the uh, Native Americans who were already living here in America, or as they called themselves, Americans. <laughs> uh, it is definitely one of those holidays that the version we were taught in elementary school and that you see in coloring books and the way that we present that to children is probably uh, not the way that that happened. But uh, one of the things we can take away from that is we don't have to celebrate that specific event. But what Thanksgiving summarizes and what it symbolizes is uh, things that we are thankful for. And that's what uh, that's how we celebrate Thanksgiving is we have our friends and family over and we prepare a giant feast. Everybody cooks something and brings something. Of course, we eat turkey and stuffing and there are a lot of uh, normal staples that are part of that Thanksgiving dinner if you've never experienced that. Um, but one of the things that we do is we take a moment to, uh, you know, come come up with what we are thankful for, to reflect on not just uh, happenings and events and things like that, but just in general, things that we are thankful for. Of course, when you're a kid and you, <clears throat> maybe you've watched a 
you know, TV specials with Thanksgiving and someone says, you know, um, it, it's, it's similar to maybe saying grace or something, uh, uh, you know, before a meal, but, um, you know, there's a lot of like Thanksgiving TV specials where, where people would say like, I'd like to say, you know, this year I'm thankful for this and that. Well, we don't really do that. <laughs> we don't do that in my family anyway. But one of the things that I personally do is, uh, every year on Thanksgiving or, you know, Thanksgiving is one of those floating, uh, holidays. It's always on the last, uh, Thursday of November. So the date, changes, but that usually gives us, um, you know, kind of leads you into the weekend there. Uh, so sometime around there, but, but I try to do it on, on that day, but if not sometime around then, but I always try to get away for about an hour. I just go sit somewhere by myself and I just go through my mind of all the things that I am thankful for. And there is, I have so much to be thankful for in my life. Uh, you know, I have my health and the health of my family. And uh, my parents were still able to, my parents drive, they're in their mid-70s, and they both drove over and joined us for Thanksgiving, and my wife's family, you know, um, uh, we all, you know, celebrated Thanksgiving, so I I had all that uh, to be thankful for. But I told my wife later, one of the things that came to mind was that I was thankful for the internet, and my wife said, wow, that seems like a really shallow kind of thing to be thankful for. And I said, but it's not the internet. It is all the friendships and the relationships that I have made through the internet. You know, people, um, you know, like my buddy, Sean, who I have done throwback reviews with for, for years. And, and, um, you know, we, Sean and I talk every day, pretty much. We talk, uh, we send messages back and forth on the phone and, and, uh, we'd like to bring back throwback reviews at the beginning of the year next year. So, um, but, but it's a, it's more than just, you know, an online casual acquaintance. Like I've been to Sean's house, you know, I've met his children and his wife. We've gone and done things. We'd like someday for them to come visit us. You know, we, I mean, we live a long ways away. He lives in, in, uh, upstate New York and, and we live in Oklahoma. So that's, that's a pretty far distance, but, but we have become really close friends and it's because of the internet. If it weren't for the internet, we would have never met. I was telling my wife, you know, people that Vox me, you know, we use this, this app called Voxer, my buddy, um, Doug McCoy. I don't talk to Doug that regularly, but when we do, he'll send me a message out of the blue or I'll send him a message out of the blue and, and we'll talk for a day or two. And then we might not talk for a month or a few months, but then we reconnect. But it's those kinds of relationships that, uh, you find people that you had things in common with. Maybe you shared a uh, common uh, experiences in your childhood, or you share a love of nostalgia or a certain type of movie. And they're the type of people that if you went to high school with, you just know you would have hung out with that guy. They would have been your buddy. Um, Amigo Aaron, who is uh, one of the hosts of the Amigos and ARG Presents and several other podcasts. Uh, when I went to Hurricane, West Virginia over the summer, we, uh, uh, my buddy Jeff and I, you know, we rented an RV and we drove it up there. We parked it in Aaron's driveway. Aaron let us come in and take showers in his house. The RV was not, uh, the, 
uh, epitome of comfort that one might imagine. And uh, there were several evenings where Aaron and I, and, and when I visited Hurricane last time, uh, Aaron and I just sat in his living room talking, sharing old stories about computers and video games and things like that. These are all relationships that would not have been possible without the internet. And so while... Um, uh, you know, I may, I may not have phrased it properly when I told her I was thankful for the internet. What I'm thankful for is the relationships that I have been able to forge because of the internet. And let me tell you, I've said this before, you know, I was a, a goofy kid who used to sit in my room uh, when I was really young, seven, eight years old and play records and record records with my boom box. I'd have a, a cassette recording and I would pretend to be a DJ. I would put on puppet shows and make my parents come watch them. My, my parents' friends would come visit. I would make them come watch these shows that I put on. I, I made shows uh, on VHS videotapes and audio shows. And so I've kind of been doing this podcast thing for decades before there were podcasts. You know, I was putting shows together and doing that sort of stuff. And the internet has allowed me to, to do that and share them with you, with people just like you. And you guys have responded, you know, and that's the part that was missing as a child when you would put on a show and there was no one to do it for, <laughs> you know, you would come up with an idea and no one would watch it or no one, uh, you know, would, would, I remember one time I would, I would do these puppet shows and my parents would come in and they would say, okay, we're watching. And then you would hide, you know, get under pillows or blankets and get your puppets ready and do the whole show. And then uh, when the show was over, you would sit up and the parents had left a long time ago and you'd just been performing to nobody, you know? And so, um, and I don't blame my parents for that. <laughs> I, would have do, I would do the same thing. I'm good for a minute or two of kids being cute and then I'm gone. But the point is, is that the, the internet has allowed me to do all of this and connect with you guys and allow you guys to connect with me. And that has been something that's really special and I've really enjoyed throughout the years. So that was one of the things that I was really, truly uh, came up with that I was really thankful for this year. I'm thankful for all of you guys. So um, we, we had a good, good Thanksgiving and uh, I'll just leave it at that. A few other things I've been up to. Number one is uh, I just reloaded. I had an old laptop. I mean, you may have had old laptops that you don't know what to do with. This is what I would call a a third a third generation laptop. In other words, this was a, a laptop that was my main computer for a while, and then I replaced it with another laptop, and I replaced that laptop earlier this year. So this is three laptops that go, but it still mostly works. I just can't get rid of it, you know, but man, it's starting to show its age. You know, it, it, I, I determined a long time ago, or I didn't determine it determined it was not going to run windows 11. So it is stuck on windows 10 and every update it gets for windows 10 just makes it a little bit more slow. It takes a little bit more time to boot up. It's just, um, you know, you, you can tell, and it's not the computer. The computer isn't getting slower. It's this bloated, operating system that they're cramming more and more into that it just takes so long to weed through. And so the the immediate nerd response is, well, you need to load Linux on it. And I mean, that is 
Uh, you know, Linux, uh, there are certain flavors, builds of Linux that are much less CPU intensive. They boot much more quickly. And I've played with Ubuntu and uh, Ubuntu, Ubuntu, I'm never going to say it right. Um, and, uh, you know, Mint and some of those other uh, splits of Linux. And uh, they're, they're fun to play with. But the thing is, the applications that I use aren't don't run on Linux, you know. And, and so I end up just using it basically as a... Uh, a web browser type computer because all the, the actual apps and stuff that I use aren't, aren't there. Uh, and so someone said, you know, maybe I should look into getting a Chromebook and I've thought about getting a Chromebook over the years, but, uh, <clears throat> I just don't want to buy just another computer, but long story short, I discovered Chrome OS flex, which is basically the Chrome operating system, but the flex, um, is a, a split of Chrome OS that you could install on Windows machines. And so it's just like a Linux build. You download it, you, uh, you know, burn, I'm using a burn in air quotes, burn uh, uh, the image onto a USB stick, and then you could boot off of it and you could sample it. That way you could just run it off of the USB or you can blow away the hard drive, which is what I did on this laptop. And so basically it, turns your Windows machine into a Chromebook. Um, now, if you're not on board with Google, this is not the solution for you. I already found that out. I mean, you log in with your Gmail address and then you know all the, the default shortcuts across the bottom of the computer are, you know, Gmail, um, Google Docs, uh, you know, Google <laughs> is on there, Google Voice, you know, so it's the Google suite of apps. But basically, you know, this is a intended to be a cloud-based computer. And I did read that there's some hacks, I guess, where you can install a virtual machine and you can install other apps and stuff on it. But I just feel like if you're that guy, if you're trying to get around this so much, um, then you should probably just start with Linux. Like, like those are hacks if you bought a Chromebook and you're stuck with that hardware and stuck with that operating system. But this is like an operating system you inflicted upon yourself. You know, you, you intentionally installed uh, Chrome OS. So... Uh, if you're trying to get around that, yeah, I, I would just start with Linux. I mean, Linux is is um, you know a hacker's dream, right? And I'm using hacker in the in the traditional sense. Like you want to configure stuff, you want to go in and change every single component of your operating system. You know that's Linux for you. But um, this thing just kind of works, and man, it has breathed new life into this old laptop. I mean, I would say it probably takes about a minute to boot and get logged in and all that stuff. But it was taking like five to ten minutes with windows 10 before that thing was usable. So uh, I'm just so happy with it. And, and 90% of what I do, um, you know, other than the video and audio editing and recording and all that stuff. Um, but a lot of what I do is writing and all of my writing is in Google docs. I don't use Microsoft products for that anymore. I use Google docs, um, mostly because it's all in the cloud. So I can write half a document here. I could go to the other room, open up a laptop and continue right where I was. So, uh, I just I'm really enjoying it. So if you have one of those old laptops laying around, you don't know what to do with it. Um, you don't really want to install Linux on there, whatever you should check out Chrome OS flex. It is completely free. Uh, and by free, I mean, you're paying probably with your information <laughs> to Google. So it's that kind of free, but it is free to download and install. I'm enjoying that. Um, <clears throat> I bought myself an early Christmas present. I guess I'll talk about this. I bought myself a, MK4 K 
keyboard. This is one of those small MIDI keyboards, and uh, I'm old school, so when I say MIDI, I think, oh, it's got all these weird cables you're going to need, but that's not what MIDI. MIDI is now just USB. Um, so it, it connects to the computer through USB. It has these drum pads on it. has all these buttons. I haven't figured it all out yet, um, but it comes with the software called MPC Beats, and you can make beats and loops. You can play on the drums and, and play little drum things. And, uh, you know, it comes with a zillion different sounds, keyboard sounds and stuff. And, of course, you could load samples. And the software, the MPC Beat software, is somewhat crippled. Um, I would say that you can't – well, you could do eight MIDI tracks and ten digital audio tracks. So, I mean, that's plenty for – if you want to play around, you know, if you want to make a MIDI, a, a simple song and do all this, it's plenty. The pay version of the software is just called MPC. I think it's MPC two now is what it's called. And it's like a hundred dollars or something like that. But, uh, it gives you 128 tracks and you can use any track. They could all be MIDI. They can all be digital audio. So it's a complete, um, DAW digital audio workstation. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun playing with it. And I actually bought this because, as I've been doing more videos for Big Rob's Van uh, on YouTube, uh, one of the things I'm running into uh, finding difficult is finding royalty-free and copyright-free music. And I've found some places online, and I've downloaded some songs. That some of them are okay, and some of them sound like, you know, whatever <laughs> free music sounds like, you know. Um, but a lot of what I need is just, you know, 20 seconds of audio. I just need a little simple, uh, I call it a little ditty. I just need a little ditty that I could fade in and fade out between shots or in a, a short uh, part of the video where there's no, there's no um, uh, uh, conversation. There's no people talking. And so I thought, you know, rather than go through all these hoops, wouldn't it be easier to just make my own music? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it's incredibly simple. I mean, I will say that everything I've made sounds really elementary. And when I transition from this to the podcast, when we get out of the news, uh, I will I will use one of those just so you can hear it. But um, I mean, I'm having fun with it, but it's like a lot of things. Uh, when, when you start playing with something like that, for me anyway, when I start playing with something like that, then I immediately have this flash where I'm, I'm like, I could spend the rest of my life doing this. I could give up everything else. I could get off the computer, stop playing games, stop writing, and I could just be a music guy, you know, and I know that I'm not going to do that. And so I end up just being a dabbler. You know, I just dabble with it a little bit. I, I play with it. I, I do the basic stuff and then I, I lose interest and I move on. So that's where I'm at. I'm in the dabbling stage. I'd like to get a little bit better at it, but as far as, you know, creating tiny little loops of music or whatever, it's, just, it's not that hard. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, uh, award-winning music. I'm just saying literally background music for things. Uh, it's it's working out. So I'll probably do more of that in the future. That'll be a fun side hobby to mess around with. That's uh, the uh, Akai makes that, A-K-A-I. It's the uh, MK4 uh, Mini. Uh, and I, it's less than 100 bucks. I think it was like $89 uh, during Black Friday sale. Uh, but again, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm making those because I'm using them in my Big Rob's van video. So I am still playing with my van. I'm still doing work on the van. Uh, if you have any interest in van life stuff, I try not to cross promote things. But if you go to YouTube, uh, the account is at Big Rob's van. Or if you just go to BigRobsVan.com, I'm trying to update whenever I post videos. 
but I'm on Instagram under Big Rob's Van. I post a lot of stuff and trying to do stuff on threads, man, threads. Oh gosh, I want threads. I want threads to take over Twitter so badly and <laughs> they're not doing it. They just, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. Is that the right? I don't, I don't know. It's just like, like it's so ugly <laughs> and it's just so cumbersome and you can't find people and people can't find me. And, and, um, I have like, I think on threads, I have 280 followers and I post stuff and I get zero likes and zero interaction. It's just like, it's literally like shouting into a void, which possibly is just a, um, microchasm of, uh, of what social media is in general. But, um, anyway, uh, if you like the van life stuff, go to, uh, big Rob's You can find the links, uh, to all the other stuff. So if you have feedback about this or, uh, any episode of my shows, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at Rob Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Rob Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Uh, come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. While we were doing all that, I found the show notes. They were underneath the front seat. Forgot to look there. So anyway, I've got the notes. Let's get started on this episode's topic, which is the Elio. Now, before we begin, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment and imagine the perfect car. Now, this is a real car. I want you to imagine a real car, not, you know, an imaginary flying jet car or something like that. Um, But I'm not going to give you any guidelines. There's no cost limit. Um, I just want you to think, what is the perfect car? Now, it's possible that some of you may have picked a Toyota Prius, which is a small car. It's a hybrid. It gets really good mileage, and that is great if you need to commute every day. But it's not great if you plan on hauling a boat on the weekends. Maybe you pick something like a new Corvette. I mean, those things are super cool. They look sweet and they sound great, but they are not a great choice if you have to take three kids to school every morning. And so my point here is that there's not really any such thing as the perfect car. There's no one size fits all model of a car. Otherwise, they would just literally sell one model of car. But what there is is the perfect car for a particular situation. And back in 2014, I was taking a lot of road trips for work. In 2013, I drove to Washington, D.C. and back a couple of times. I drove to Tempe, Arizona, and I took several other road trips. And all of those work trips, I drove by myself. I was also about to re-enroll at college at that time, which would require me to drive approximately 100 miles round trip three days a week. 
And so the perfect car for me at that time would have been something relatively small, maybe a two-seater, something that got really good mileage. And for all those road trips, all the traditional features of a car like air conditioning and a radio and all that stuff would be really nice to have too, along with the safety and uh, benefits that come from having a car. uh, In other words, I'm ruling out a motorcycle due to weather uh, and being able to possibly pull over and take a nap inside the car, which you wouldn't be able to do in a motorcycle as well. And so for me, at that time, the perfect car I believed was the Elio. Now, the Elio, when I first discovered it back in 2014, was a proposed three-wheel car that ran off a traditional gas engine, a three-cylinder engine, I should say. It got 84 miles per gallon with a top speed of 107 miles an hour. It promised a five-star safety rating. It contained seating for two people. It came not only with air conditioning and a radio, but also three airbags, anti-lock brakes, and a complete roll cage with a total price tag of just $6,800. It was, as far as I was concerned, the perfect car. Now, if you've never seen one, I'm going to try to explain what the Elio looks like. The center or the main part of the body of the Elio looks almost like one of those motorcycles from Tron. (laughs) The sides are completely smooth and the top has this smooth arc on the top. It almost looks like the middle fuselage of an airplane. Uh, And it is a three wheeled vehicle. There are two wheels up front and then one in the middle and the rear. In some pictures, the wheels up front are covered with wheel wells or fenders, but in others, the wheels are exposed, which gives it kind of this street rod look. The car is six and a half feet wide. And so to get a car that narrow, the passengers sit tandem, one in front of the other. And then behind the rear passenger is a small trunk area. Now, inside the driver's seat, it feels just like a car, although it's a little bit more narrow than a car that you're used to. But there is a steering wheel. There's a stereo. There's knobs for the headlights and to to do things like turn on the windshield wipers. Uh, Actually, it's windshield wiper, singular. There's only one. But it's important to note that in the United States, unless they have applied for an exception, any vehicle on the road with less than four wheels is legally classified as a motorcycle. That includes the Elio. Now, the good news is that that makes it pretty cheap to insure. But the bad news is that means it has to follow all the rules of the road of motorcycles. So, for example, if you are in a state that requires motorcycle riders to wear a helmet, then in theory, you would have to wear a helmet inside your Elio while you're driving around. This is a thing that inside feels just like a car. Also, in many states, like Oklahoma to operate a motorcycle, you have to pass a driver's test specific for motorcycle riders and have a motorcycle endorsement on your license. To legally drive an Elio, you would also have to have a motorcycle license. So there are definitely some uh, hurdles that 
buyers would have to overcome to purchase an Elio. Now, over time, Elio did lobby to change some of those rules as they applied specifically to their car, but it's kind of, it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse, I suppose. Now, the Elio was first announced back in 2009. <laughs> Uh, to clarify, Elio is the car, Elio Motors is the company, and the company is owned by a man named Paul Elio. That is E-L-I-O, by the way. Uh, by the time I discovered the Elio in 2014, it had already been delayed by two years. The uh, company was founded in 2009, and they had said that they would release their first car in 2012. Again, I discovered the Elio in 2014. So at that time, they were already two years behind. Now, they said production was set to begin in 2015. And I thought, how lucky am I? What a great time to get on the Elio train. Things are getting ready to roll. Now, how do you sell a car when you don't have a car? <laughs> when you have not built the car yet? And the way that Elio decided to do that is they set up multiple payment options for potential customers. There are nine different payment options. The very first one was to pay for the car in full in advance. You pay the $6,800 up front. Now, I want to say, I need to clarify something. You were not paying for the car. What you were paying for is a spot in line to purchase the car when the car was ready. So you were paying $6,800 for the privilege of being the first customers to be able to buy an Elio when the Elio was ready. But when the Elio was produced, the $6,800 you paid for your spot in line applies to the cost of the car, which is $6,800 which means you've paid for the car. So in reality, the way it works is that you paid for the car, but on paper, you were paying for a spot in line. And that is very important to remember as we go through this podcast. But anyway, the first payment option was $6,800 paid in full up front, no refunds. Also important to remember. The next four slots in line, and remember there are nine total slots in line. The next four slots in line were reserved by paying $1,500, $250, or $100. Again, those were non-refundable payments. But if you paid those, uh, you got that amount plus 50% applied to the cost of the car. So in other words, if you paid $1,000, you became second. Uh, this is non-refundable. You paid $1,000, you would be second in line. So all the people that paid the full price would go first, and they would go through that list, and then they would start with the people who paid $1,000 non-refundable. But off the total of your car, you would get $1,500 off the $1,000 and then 50% of that, which is another $500. So you would get $1,500 off the total of the 6,800 price. And then you would just be asked to pay the remaining balance. Uh, and that applied to all those. So if you paid a hundred dollars, non-refundable, you would get 150 off the price of the Elio when, when they were available. 
But again, it would work down this list. All the people that paid 6800 would go first, then the people that paid 1000 non-refundable, second, the people that paid 500 non-refundable, that would be third, so on and so forth. Okay, so that's spots one through five. Spots six, seven, eight, nine are the same totals, 1000 500 250 and 100 again, but those are refundable. So uh, you could make a refundable down payment uh, on your spot in line <laughs> that would get applied to the eventual cost of the Elio when the Elio was produced, but you could get your money back. Now you didn't get the extra 50% applied. So that was the trade-off. Uh, you didn't get the extra 50% uh, bonus, you know, that would be applied to the, the total of the car. But in theory, if you want to get out of line, you could get your money back. So, um, <clears throat> I looked at all the pricing options and what I decided to do was pay a hundred dollars non-refundable. Okay. So that put me fifth in line at the least amount of money you could pay. So my way of thinking was that uh, you would have the the sixty eight hundred, you know, the people that paid sixty eight hundred, right? And then you go through thousand five hundred, two fifty, and then one hundred. That's me, fifth out of ninth, and then you go through all the refundable people for slots six, seven, eight, nine. And my my thinking was this: I didn't think a lot of people would pay five hundred or two fifty. I think you're either all in, or you're a thousand, right? Or you're the one hundred, which is where I'm at. So. Uh, I thought that would put me pretty close to the front of the line. That that was um, that was my overall uh, thinking. Um, I, it was a hundred dollars non refundable. I just mentioned in this podcast I paid eighty nine dollars for a MIDI keyboard that I've used for five minutes. So <laughs> it's not like I'm rolling in the dough over here, but it, it just didn't seem. It's not a life altering amount of money. As my buddy Jeff always says, I've paid more for less. <laughs> so I wasn't I wasn't that worried about it. Um, so. I paid this money knowing that in 2015, they were going to be making this car. Now I want to go over some numbers with you and, and I'm not, and this isn't going to be boring. This is going to be, I think fun. Um, but I want to talk about that year, the year before that I talked about at the top of the show. Um, uh, and I'm going to apply that to the year of 2015. Uh, so th- this is, this is actually what I did in 2015. Um, I drove to work now these, these numbers are rough numbers. Okay. But, uh, I drive round trip 50 miles to work and back. I mean, so, so total round trip is 50 miles. Okay. So if you multiply this out five days a week and let's say 52 weeks, like I didn't take a vacation or anything, uh, that is 13,000 miles. And again, this would be 2015. I work from home now mostly. So, um, but at that time I was driving to work every day. So, 13,000 miles in 2015, just driving to work and back. But that's also the year that I went back to school and began working on my master's degree. College was 50 miles away. So I was doing a hundred miles round trip three days a week. Uh, and then a school, you know, both semester together, that would be, um, uh, 36 weeks. And so that's an additional 10,800 miles. Okay. Uh, now that year I took two trips to Washington DC and I took one trip to Arizona. Uh, so I probably took other trips, but I know for a fact I took those three trips. 
so those three trips alone was 7,200 miles. So all those, just those things for work, school, and those trips, I'm at 30,000 miles that I put on my car in a single year. Okay. I currently drive a Ford Flex. My Ford Flex gets around 20 miles to the gallon. So if you divide 30,000 miles that year by 20 miles uh, to the gallon, you get 1,500 gallons of gas. Now, right now, well, that year, uh, the average price, I looked this up, the average price of gas in 2015 was $3.50, which depending on if you're here, sounds uh, a little bit expensive. If you're overseas, that probably sounds incredibly cheap. Um, but 1,500 gallons of gas at three and a half bucks is $5,250. So that's roughly, at a minimum, that's what I spent on gas in the year 2015, uh, $5,250 in gas. Okay, let's run those numbers real quick with the Elio. The Elio claimed that it was going to get 84 miles to the gallon. So if you divide all those miles up, that's only 357 gallons of gas. So at that same price, that would have cost me $1,250. The other number was $5,250. So that is a savings of $4,000 a year. Now this car is $6,800. So literally in a year and a half, this car would have paid for itself. I mean, this is a no-brainer purchase. It makes total sense. And Elio actually took advantage of this mentality of how much money people would save on gasoline. And they said they were going to offer a gas card. And I think this is brilliant. The way that the gas card was going to work is that it would charge you not for how much gas you put into your car, but how much it used to cost you. So in other words... Um, if I were to fill up the Elio and it cost me, you know, I don't know, $10 or if I put $10 in the Elio and my old car, it would have been $40. It would just charge me the $40 and it would take those $30 and apply it to my payment. So in other words, if you didn't affect your spending, like whatever I spent on gas the year before, I would just continue and I would spend that on the next year. And that would be the uh, the $4,000 I talked about saving would go to my car payment. So you, you don't even feel like you're making a payment. You're paying exactly what you used to pay for gas. And in a year and a half, this car would be paid off. It is such a genius business model. What could possibly go wrong, as I like to say? Now, around this time, 2014, I watched a video of the Elio on Good Morning America. They showed, uh, I think it was an orange model, and it was driving around the streets of New York City. Um, it really just pushed me over the edge when I saw that. I think I saw that video, and that's when I went and made my $100 deposit. It just looked like something I wanted to be a part of. It was a futuristic-looking car. It's a very unique looking vehicle and it got this great gas mileage and it had everything that I needed. It was perfect, like a perfect commuter car. And again, when you see the Elio, it's this long, thin vehicle with two wheels up front. It's, it's kind of odd looking and you're 
gut reaction is that thing doesn't look safe, but it was safe. They put in a roll cage inside this thing. So it was built more like an airplane, you know, with a, a framing and then almost like a skin, a thin skin around it. So it was designed to survive a crash. Now there might not be much left of the Elio after a crash, but you would survive. And that's the most important thing. Now, in 2015, I saw an advertisement for a local car show, and one of the things they said was that Elio was going to be there. And so for the first time, I could go in 2015, the same year that I'm about to go back to school, I could go see, not just see an Elio, they said you could go sit in it. You could go touch it. You could, I mean, this makes it a real vehicle to me. And so my wife and my kids, the whole family, we went to the car show and, um, you know, we went down there and here's one of the things I'm a big guy, right? Like I'm physically a very large person. Uh, and I'm also, I'm not super tall, but I'm six foot tall. And so I wanted to see, and this is, I mean, kind of embarrassing, but I wanted to see if I could fit in this thing. Like, is this something that I'm going to be cramped in? Or is this something that feels like a real car that I could get in there, you know? And so I went there. We went and saw the Elio. Uh, it was uh, another orange model, which was cool. And they, they have them in, uh, there's like a red, a white, a green. Uh, I don't know if there's a black one. And then there's this orange one. So uh, they're very bright colors. They're, they're, um, and they're, it's all one color. You know, the car is just like all red or all orange. They're, they're really cool looking. Uh, but I got in there and I, I sat down, you know, and, and um, now my son, uh, again, let me explain the seating here. There's one door. There's only one door and it's on the driver's side. I mean, the, technically both sides are the driver's side, but it's on traditionally where you would find a driver's door in a car. And, um, you know how like in a, in a two seater car that has a back seat, you'll open the door and then you kind of fold the front seat forward and the rear passenger can get in. Uh, it works like that. So you open the door, you would fold the driver's seat forward and the passenger could get in the back. Now, my son, who at that time was five foot eight, was cramped in the back seat, but they had the front seat adjusted, uh, you know, to really show the, the room of the Elio. So they had the seat all the way back. And I mean, there was extra headroom, you know, my, I could stretch my legs. It was really, really comfortable in the front. But again, my son, who at that time was five foot eight, was cramped in the back. Now, could I have scooted the front seat forward? A couple of inches, probably, you know, I probably could have moved that forward and give him a little bit more leg room, but it's certainly not um, designed for two uh, tall people. Let's put it that way. Now, I knew at the time that the trunk was small, but I didn't know how small <laughs> the trunk actually was. Uh, we got a, a flyer that had a bunch of information on it, and the trunk was 27 inches by 14 inches by 10 inches. That is 10 inches deep, I believe, 14 inches wide, and 27 inches long, like front to back. Uh, in centimeters, by the way, that is 68 by 35 by 25. Um, the carry When you go to the airport and they have that little box for carry-on luggage that the TSA has, that's 22 by 14 by 9 in inches. Again, this trunk is 27 by 14 by 10. So with five inches of play, it's almost exactly large enough to hold one 
carry one piece of carry on luggage um to to put this really into perspective a a large pizza from domino's uh the box is 16 inches by 16 inches so you could not put a large pizza in the trunk um it's only 14 inches wide so i suppose you could if you tilt the pizza box <laughs> on one side not not really recommended now <clears throat> one of the things in the uh in the online uh, advertising is that they said you could carry a golf bag with you and you can because that rear seat folds down flat. So it doesn't make it any wider or deeper. I don't, I mean, I guess it would be, it would be taller in the front. It doesn't make it taller in the back, but it extends that trunk all the way out to 47 inches long. So if uh, you fold the rear seat down flat, you could technically put a bag of golf clubs in the bag, but now you're down to just the driver, no passenger. Um, <clears throat> again, all the other stuff that they had talked about was there. It was uh, 84 miles to the gallon. It had a eight gallon gas tank, which means you could go theoretically 650 miles per tank. Now, I look today, we were out today, gas here today in Oklahoma City is $2.30 a gallon. So uh, at eight gallons, if you fill it up, that's a little over $18. So for $18, you could drive 650 miles. That's a little over 1,000 kilometers. So like here from Oklahoma, I don't know if this is a point of reference, uh, I could drive to Mexico. <laughs> From my house, I could drive to go see the Arch in St. Louis. Like, that is a lot of miles to be able to go on a single tank of gas for less than $20. Um, another thing I did at that time, uh, again, this was 2015, I looked up the what was the cheapest car at that time or, You know, that got the best mileage. And the next closest vehicle to this was the Nissan Versa. But the Nissan Versa only got 35 miles to the gallon. This thing, again, was supposed to get 84 miles to the gallon. And also, a Nissan Versa cost $15,300 at that time, which is more than double what the uh, going price was going to be for an Elio. So I was just, I was even more enamored when I got to see this thing. And there was another guy there. I was standing next to a guy, and we started talking about the Elio because we were both excited about it. And um, I said, you know, it's. I, I mentioned to him, I said, it's really cool to see an orange one because I told him I'd seen, uh, you know, an orange one on on uh, on the news on Good Morning America. And he said, uh, you mean the orange one? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And so uh, he went on to explain to me what mules are. And mules in the car industry are essentially mock-ups of cars. These are not cars um, with necessarily parts that the car manufacturer has made. These are cars that are designed so that people can drive them and see how things feel. Like, is the steering wheel uh, in the right place? You know, is, is the door hinge, is the door big enough? Like, you could design something in CAD or on paper, but once you, you know, you kind of have to put it together to get a feel of what it's going to feel like. Is it going to be too small? on the road or too big or too long, you know, is it going to tip over? So, so a mule is basically a drivable car, but not necessarily 
one that contains parts by that manufacturer. And in fact, the guy that was there, he pointed out to me, he said, if you take a look, that is a steering wheel from a Ford Mustang. It was also a driver's seat from a Ford Mustang. So they had taken parts from other cars to build this particular Elio. And I said, well, you know, if they've done the hard part, if they've done the engine, and he said, that is an engine from a Geo Metro. It's a 1.3 liter gasoline engine from a Geo Metro. And they had just put an engine from a different car in this Elio. <sighs> also, I believe it was the, this guy that told me this. I might've read this online, but I believe it was this man that told me that they had only built five Elios total and only three of those ran <laughs> and they were all mules like this one. They were all cars that were um, kind of like a kit bash. If you're familiar with that term, you know, in the, in special effects, whenever they build models, like when they built the death star for star Wars, they would go buy other models, kit models like battleships and airplanes. And they would take the guns and pieces off of those models and they would put it, you know, on their model of the death star to, add, you know, give it some realism, those little guns and things. And that's called kit bashing when you take parts and you bash those things together. And so this is almost like a, a kit bashed car, you know? So I was, um, not, I don't know that I was as enthusiastic about the Elio when I walked away. I mean, I wanted to be right. I wanted to buy into this, but I thought it maybe there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors going on with this car. Now in hindsight of, of 2020, you might think like, Oh, maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe I was thinking I was discouraged or whatever, but right around the same time, they released another video. And this video, this came with a news, uh, a press release, an announcement that Elio had purchased the old GM plant in Shreveport, Louisiana. This is a 4 million square foot car manufacturing facility. Uh, and this is where they were going to start selling or, you know, building manufacturing Elios. And they released a video of somebody with the company. And this guy was driving around the facility inside the facility with a golf cart and, and showing all the manufacturing stuff that was left there from GM, you know, all the, all the, um, the, the robotic arms and and all the processes, you know, for, for building cars. And I don't think at the time they really pointed out the fact that that was all stuff that was abandoned from GM and none of that stuff would have actually been useful, uh, in building an Elio, but that's kind of what was implied, you know? Now, <clears throat> my way of thinking was that if all of this were a scam, if all of this, you know, if they weren't really going to make an Elio or if the Elio was never going to get off the ground, then why would they purchase this 4 million square foot building, right? Like that's a long way to go if you don't plan on actually building a car. Well, let me tell you <laughs> why they bought the building. They didn't pay for the building. They got the building on uh, through this unique program, which is called a pilot program. Uh, now, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all the ins and outs, but pilot stands for payment in lieu of taxes. And so uh, I believe there were, and this is all public knowledge, there were some agreements made. Uh, and one of the agreements was that when the plant 
moved into operation, they began building Elio cars, they agreed to hire 1,500 people. So this is a real good investment, right, um, for their local uh, local community. But also, the price of the building was $7.5 million. The people, well, I won't say the people, but the parish, the area of Shreveport was so vested in the idea of manufacturing Elio cars. I mean, obviously their local economy was devastated when this GM plant closed down. And so they raised the money through taxes. They raised $7.5 million in taxes, and they paid for the building. So Elio, Elio Motors did not pay for the building. Now, um, here is an article, uh, a snippet of an article. This is from the USA Today. This was published in 2015. The project was supposed to breathe new life into the former GM plant, which was once a vital hub of manufacturing in Shreveport. Elio's promise was to bring new jobs, 1,500 of them. The parish got behind the project and bankrolled the $7.5 million transaction involving taxpayer dollars. The Caddo Parish Industrial Development Board purchased the facility. From there, the building was leased to Lichter Shreveport Business Park, which was determined to help Elio set up operations there. Production at one point was set to start in March of this year, but that was pushed back due to a lack of capital. Since then, production has been pushed back several times for the same reason. In January, Elio Motors' Paul Elio said he needed, get ready, $230 million to start production, and that production would be pushed back again until 2016. Again, that is from the USA Today. So I want to talk about a couple things. Number one, when Elio Motors, uh, I can't say purchased, when they acquired this building, which the taxpayers of Shreveport paid for, and they moved into the building, one of the things they immediately did was divide the building in two, and they began subleasing the other half of the building. <laughs> this is one of the dirtiest things I could possibly imagine. They They came in, they promised a herding community that they were going to start building cars in this building, that they were going to provide 1,500 jobs to their local community, and they got them to pay for the building. The first thing they did after they got the building for free was begin leasing half the building out to other people. So they're making money off the free building. And I believe I read that through this pilot agreement, they have the building through 2025. (laughs) It's unbelievably disgusting to me. Um, There were people that, (laughs) rightfully so, said, we got a feeling they're not making Elio cars out there. (laughs) Like they haven't hired anybody. What's going on? And so there were some people that I believe posted on Reddit later, but they went out there and took pictures and they did not find 1,500 employees. They found two. There was apparently a security guard and a janitor. They were the only two people working in this entire building. There's no cars being built. There's no nobody going there. There's no management. There's nobody. There's just a security guard standing out there keeping people from going into the building. 
This is uh, uh, not looking good. 2015 is a wash. 2016 is not looking good. But then, here we go. In 2016, Elio began selling stocks. And they raised, get ready, $17 million. Now, one thing I want to remind you as we go through all this is that people like myself, are still giving Elio money. <laughs> they are still going to Elio Motors because they haven't done any research, they haven't seen all these things, and they're, they're being told, if you go to the website, you, there's this whole promise. It shows you pictures of the Elio. It's driving around. It says it's featured on Good Morning America. It's a real-looking vehicle. And they say, you want to be part of the future? Pay this money. You know, they got people like me to pay the money. On the other side, what you have is them taking money and not building a car. And not only are they not building a car, I want to roll this back again. That USA Today article said they needed $230 million to begin production. And what they got from this stock offering is $17 million. I mean, I'm not great at math, but that still leaves a lot of hundred millions <laughs> before you get to that total. Now, around this same time, 2016, there was another press release, and they said Elio Motors is teaming up with Pet Boys. Now, I got really excited for this because there was a Pet Boys right down the street from my house, like five minutes away. I used to go there. I bought a car battery there. I used to, um, I got oil changes there. I, I was familiar with Pet Boys. And so in this press release, they said they were teaming up with Pet Boys. Pet Boys would be a place that was guaranteed they would do all warranty work on the Elio because there weren't going to be Elio showrooms. You just bought this car and you either went and picked it up or they shipped it to you or whatever, but there weren't Elio showrooms. This is all online. So where are you going to go? Where do you go for Elio parts? Where do you go for Elio service? You would go to Pet Boys. So this is a big um, you know, mutual, uh, uh, business transaction here. And in fact, the one detail that stuck out to me is they said Elia or that pet boys would be modifying all of their lifts to support three wheel cars. Now this is something that had never crossed my mind before, but if you think about like one of those bays that you drive over to get your oil change, you can't drive a three wheel car over that because you got a, a middle wheel. You got a wheel right in the center in the rear of your car. So pet boys was going to modify all their lifts. Now to me, pet boys wouldn't do that if this were not a real thing. You see what I'm saying? Like pet boys is not getting scammed here, you know? And so, um, maybe that year, maybe the next year we went to pet boys. I went there and got an oil change. I took my, my normal car there to get an oil change. And I asked the guy, I said, so when are they, when are they changing the, uh, the lifts for the Elio? And he said, for the what? And I go, the Elio, that three wheel car that, and he goes, what are you talking about? <clears throat> so I had to tell him <laughs> about pet boys and he, he called some other guy over. He goes, you ever heard of it? Elio? And the guy goes, no, I never heard of it. And I go, they released a whole thing that said pet boys is, is changing um, all their lifts so that it'll support the Elio. He goes, nah, I, I never heard of that man. So I'm not saying 
<laughs> things are not going well. But Pep Boys, their partner, has never heard of the Elio. <laughs> so that's pretty bad. And by the way, I should mention this. Everybody around me during that time had heard of the Elio because I would not stop talking about it. I told everybody this is the future. We should all get Elios. My wife, we're all going to have matching Elios. We'll just get different colors. It's going to be the greatest thing. Um, but uh, I could feel the dream starting to slip through my fingers uh, at that time, you know, and, and, um, going back to the beginning when I said, what's a perfect car, when I discovered the Elio in 2014, the perfect car for me was something that I would be able to drive back and forth to work, to commute to work and to commute to school. And then, you know, maybe go on these road trips. I don't take a lot of stuff on these road trips. I could fold down the rear seat, throw a suitcase back there, a laptop bag. And, you know, a lot of times on a road trip, I'll pull over, you know, maybe I'll pull out to a rest stop and take a nap for half an hour. So it would have been perfect. Right. And I really wanted to buy it before 2015, which is when I enrolled to begin my master's program. A master's program, if you are going to school full-time, you could do it in about two years. I did mine in five, one, two, three, four, I think six, six semesters altogether, okay? So I enrolled in the summer of 2015, and I graduated in the spring of 2018, and they had still not built an Elio. <laughs> so... For me, the time for the Elio had passed. They never, they never made it. The whole time I was in school, they never built one. You know, now a lot of people ask me at that time, well, why didn't I just buy an electronic vehicle, an electric car, an EV? We'll call it an EV, electronic vehicle. Um, at that time, in 2014, Tesla had their Roadster which was their first EV, uh, the Tesla Roadster cost $100,000. So that was way, way out of my budget. Where 6800 for an Elio you know, was in my budget, especially with that whole thing that they were going to do with the gas card, you know. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, you know, I, I enrolled in school. I went to school for two and a half years, almost three years, well, two and a half years, and, uh, and there's no Elio. Now, I was not the only uh, person that was uh, uh, getting upset <laughs> that there's no Elio. Uh, around this time, there's a lot of people uh, getting upset. Again, you got all those people in Shreveport that are now, uh, you know, local reporters starting to write articles and uh, exposing that they got this building uh, free until 2025 through that pilot programming of the old GM plant. Um, there's a lot of, lot of things going on, you know. But, again... I want to reiterate this, and I already said this once. At that, at this time, after all these things had happened, you could still go on their website and you could still give them $6,800, and they promised that they were holding the Elio just for you. That when those things rolled off the line, you would get an Elio. Now, <clears throat> this company, and... and let me, I, you know what, before I go on, I want to stress this. The company, again, I mentioned was founded in 2009, and they said they were going to deliver a car in 2012. 
Uh, and then they pushed it back and they said 2014. And that's when I invested my money. And again, I'm not bitter about the money. It was a hundred bucks, but I put down in 2014, they said it was pushed back to 2015. And then every year, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, every year they pushed it back. And every one of those years, they were still, um, taking those reservations. Uh, Fortune Magazine in 2016, now this is 2016, this is old data, reported that Elio had more than 56,000 paid reservations. Now, we don't know how many of those are the full, you know, worst case scenario, those are the 6,800 full payment. Best case scenario, those are the refundable $100 ones. We don't really have a breakdown of uh, of where those are, but but there were 56,000 people who had made a reservation of some kind. Now, uh, this is uh, from the Wikipedia article about Elio Motors. It says, by the end of 2017, Elio had only $7,155 in the bank and deficits of U.S. $49 million. Elio's own estimate was that an investment of $376 million plus an additional $110 million in reservation deposits would be necessary in order to go into production. Throughout 2018 and beyond, oh no, to, uh, sorry, uh, throughout 2018, uh, and beyond reservation deposits remained closed. So they did close reservations at the end of 2018. We're going to talk about that. And there was no concrete plan in place to raise the nearly half billion dollars to proceed. Despite a lack of transparency to their path forward, Elio announced a December 2019 production date, which passed with no progress. <laughs> so again, rolling back here. Uh, we know that they got $17 million from selling stock. We know that they've got this building, which they have been subleasing and making money off that. They've got money from all these other people. They've got money from investors. And then they said, by the way, we need half a billion dollars to move forward. <laughs> like that's a bad business plan when you go, whoops, we forgot. We need half a billion dollars. And in addition to that, I just want to point out one thing. Again, according to this Wikipedia article, in 2017, Elio had $7,155 in the bank. Now, at that time, I had just sold a motorcycle, and I had about $8,000 in the bank. So I had more money in the bank than Elio Motors. <laughs> that is a problem. <laughs> that makes me think we're never going to see an Elio car. Um, so, uh, actually I want to read, uh, an excerpt from one other article. This is from Jalopnik and this is from 2018. And the title of this article is Elio confirms it's going crypto and gets a $2.5 million lifeline from overstock.com. This is from the article. Investors will redeem Elio coins for actual Elio vehicles, although the company isn't ready to discuss exactly how that will work just yet. 
Overstock.com is currently negotiating to become the lead investor in the Elio coin sale, and the token will be traded on Overstock subsidiary T0. Overstock is also planning a conventional equity investment in Elio. However, Elio won't discuss the amount of that investment or the amount it hopes to raise through the coin offering at this time. So this begins the crypto fundraising era of Elio. Um, so again, <laughs> they need half a billion dollars. And so they've decided that they want to start selling Elio coins. Um, they're trying to sell them to the people like me who have paid and been waiting for years for a car where there's no movement on a car. And now they want you to invest in crypto. So, um, you might imagine it doesn't go well. Uh, in January, 2019, Elio stated, quote, the production date is estimated to be 76 weeks from the timely and successful completion of our current and subsequent fundraising efforts. The timing and availability of the funds can move and we will do everything we can to keep the project moving forward by utilizing each piece of funding we receive. Okay, so essentially what they're saying here is now that they've started selling Elio coin... <laughs> Oh, by the way, I want to mention that. I want to interrupt myself. Um, they did say that if you buy a car with Elio coin, you got to go past everybody else in line. You got to cut to the front of the line. So all those people that have paid like me and the full price people and all those people, if you buy your car outright with Elio coin, so if you invested $6,800 in Elio coin, then you could just, you bump to the front of the line, which didn't make a lot of people very happy. <laughs> um, and one of the, the uh, things that I read was that technically Elio, they said, well, we said you'd be in the front of the line, but we didn't say which line. <laughs> so they're just starting a different line, they're the Elio coin line, which is in front of your line. Um, not, not a lot of ethics going on in, in, this, uh, in this whole thing. Um, and, and again, uh, so to go back to this quote from Elio, they said that um, production is estimated to start 76 weeks after they've raised enough money. So in other words, after they've raised half a billion dollars from selling Elio coins, then 76 weeks after that, they could start building Elios. <laughs> and again, I'm not a day one Elio guy. Like I'm fifth in line or now sixth. So all the people, and I remember a thing saying that uh, I, there's a number, uh, there's a number on Reddit and this, this is again, old information that there are 13,000 people who, uh, there was somebody who paid full price for the car and they got a number and their number was in the 13,000. So, um, using that, they basically, people have estimated that at least 13,000 people paid the full amount for the Elio paid the full $6,800. And Elio said, like the first year, they said, we're only going to be able to make 5,000 of these cars or 6,000 of the cars. So I knew that I wasn't going to get one for years. All these people were ahead of me in line. So when they got half a billion dollars, which seems like a kind of a Hail Mary, then it would be another 76, another year and a half. And then after that, then two or three more years were uh, not, not going well, not going well <laughs> for me. Uh, and, and the old, uh, uh, Elio. 
So something happened in 2019. After many years of things not happening with the Elio, something happened uh, with Elio in 2019, and that is that their website went dark. Uh, their Facebook page also went dark. A lot of people got scared. A lot of people that had paid $6,800 for Elio cars were not very happy. And those things stayed dark for two years until 2021. And Elio is back, baby, as an electric vehicle. <laughs> so they've updated the page. It's all the same graphics. It looks like the same car. But now they're saying that the Elio is going to be an EV, a rechargeable electric vehicle. Now, back when I first invested, when I invested in the Elio, the total price of the car was $6,800. Now, a year or two after that, they said, you know what? It's going to be more expensive. And uh, so we're raising the price to $7,300. And a couple of years later, they raised it again to $7,800. So it went up basically from $6,800 to $7,800. <laughs> There's a lot of hidden cars costing them not building a car, <laughs> apparently. Um, but the new version, the electric vehicle, has a new price of $15,000. So, I mean, is that cheap for an EV? Yes. But that's a lot of money for a car they're not going to build. <laughs> if you look at it that way, it's very expensive. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up here. Um, and so, in 2021, they said production is set to begin in 2022. I don't want to spoil the ending here. Um, but it's the end of 2023. And they have not built the new electric vehicle. They haven't built a single Elio car. And in fact... Uh, they said on the webpage, if they can sell enough uh, electric ones and raise the money, then they will honor uh, all the old ones and give people the original. We call it the OG Elio, the gas-powered one. Um, but they haven't built that either. <laughs> so they have, now they have two two models of cars um, that they haven't built. So um, they haven't updated the website or the Facebook page since 2021, but... You can still give them money. You can still go through Elio Motors. By the way, when those websites went dark, they lost a lot of their social media accounts at Elio Motors. There's a new account called Elio Motors One. <laughs> they didn't even keep their social media. Then they got control of the old ones. So now they got two social media. Like on Twitter, there's Elio Motors and Elio Motors One. Um, I, I mean, it seems like they almost gave up, but but uh, they're they're making too much money off of not making cars. <laughs> so, um, yeah. They're, they're still preying on people's dreams. They're still, you know, out there. It, it is literally, this is my opinion. My opinion is it's snake oil. My opinion is they're never going to build an Elio car, and they'll still take your money. They'll still take $6,800. They'll still take $15,000, and they are no closer to building an Elio car than they were on day one. There's nothing going on at that plant. There's nothing going on. Um, at, you know, any part of this company. Now <clears throat> there's an interesting argument to be made here. And that is whether or not Elio ever planned to actually build a car. <laughs> uh, some people think that they did and that things just went sideways, that it cost them more money. They ran into more problems. The manufacturing cost more, um, and and to that credit, you could say um, if you're familiar with them, uh, is it the Sam Bateman Fried uh, 
the uh, the guy that ran the uh, FTX crypto exchange that lost everybody's money, billions and billions of dollars. His defense was basically that he he didn't embezzle money; that he was just stupid, that he was incompetent. That was his defense. He said, "I'm you know." His lawyer's defense was being incompetent is not illegal. And so that's what some people believe about the Elio is that that they didn't set out to swindle or scam people, that they were just naive and uh, and that that it just took a lot more money than, than what they thought. And so they were willing to take all these people's money and then – they discovered that making cars was hard. <laughs> there are a lot of people on the internet that think that Elio was set up from the very beginning to never make, to actually build a car. Um, things get really gray area uh, legally. Like if you say they were scamming people all along, you got to be able to back that up. And people don't know, like, unless you know the true attention. So you can't say that. Now you could say, I feel like they were scamming people. You know, I feel like they just took my money and they were never going to build a car, but we don't really know. So it's one of those things that may never get answered until somebody from the board of directors comes out and, uh, and, um, you know, dishes all the dirt. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation to, to have whether or not Elio ever actually did they plan to build a car and things just went really wrong or did they never really intend to build anything and they just kept taking people's money? The problem with the Elio for me personally is that, um, you know, they, they've, they've lost two things. Number one, they lost their market by waiting so long. You know, when the Elio was announced, when I found the Elio 2014, um, you know, like I said, that, that Tesla Roadster was a hundred thousand dollars. So to get a car that was so cheap and, and gasoline powered, you know, they didn't have Tesla chargers all, you know, all around town and stuff like they do now. Um, you know, EV just didn't have the infrastructure that it has today. So, um, you know, it, it was, um, uh, not competing with smaller electric vehicles like what we have today or hybrids necessarily. But the other thing that happened is that, um, you know, they, they burn their bridges. Everybody that invested in Elio has lost their faith. There are uh, very sarcastic threads on Reddit. There's an Elio Motors group where people post every year to see if Santa has brought them an Elio. <laughs> and he, spoiler, he never has. These people um, have never received their car. So where are we today? You know, uh, there's um, uh, EliomMotors.com has their their website. They have the EV version on display. It has an entire list of all the features of this car they are promising. Uh, They say it has a unique safety management system. Uh, Again, a lot of the things from the original one, they tout uh, the inclusion of three airbags that it has the unibody, unibody frame. Um, they say that it has a 50% larger impact zone than most vehicles. They say that you'll be able to charge it from any 120 volt outlet, uh, fold down rear seat, all the other things, the cargo space. Um, but the last thing is the one thing that I have a real problem with because the last thing on the, the list of, uh, details of the car say that it's built in America. And I got to tell you. They're not being built anywhere.
That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore or on Instagram at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. This show would not be possible without the support of my patrons, people like Dave Zilly, Michael Ryan, and Paul Nermanum. If you would like to support my podcast or other creative ventures, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more details, visit that page. Again, it is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts until next April, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. To find more podcasts from me, visit podcast.robohara.com for links and information about those shows. Congratulations! If you made it this far, you know a little bit more about me and a little bit more about why you should not invest in the Elio. We'll see you on the road. <laughs>